you know, I say often, I, I want to make sure that everybody understands uh, what kind of pastor you have. Um, and if you were not here last week, you missed out because I preached an entire sermon in which I used the wrong name. And so I apologize for that. Um, I used the name Joseph in place of Joshua, which is ironic because we named our son after Joshua. So, in case you didn't know, that's what kind of knuckleheaded pastor you got. Alright, so, I don't know why that happened. I, like, I even went back and looked at my handwritten notes and I wrote Joseph, not Joshua. So all week, that's what was in my head, and so I apologize for that. Last week was about Joshua, not Joseph, different guy. Um, so if you weren't here and you go back and listen to that, just please forgive me. Um, last week we looked at the end of chapter uh, 17 in the book of Exodus. And we looked at the, the battle that happened between Amalek and Israel. Um, and we, we learned a couple of things through that. We, we talked about how when we pray and we rely on God completely, that He prevails. Because it's His work, it's His action, and it's Him doing it through us. We talked about how when we cease to pray and we, we cease to be in the presence of God, that we quickly become overwhelmed because then we're stepping into our own power instead of relying on God and how important it is for us to stay in God's presence. We talked about how as we are serving fulfilling the roles that God has for us, that there are going to be times where we grow weary, where we get tired. And that's okay, that's a normal part of the process, but God puts people in our lives that can help uphold us. We looked at the imagery of Moses as he stands on the mountain with his hands lifted in prayer as he prays over uh, um, Joshua, there you go, and all the people that were battling with him so that they would be successful. Okay, and then we talked about lastly that when we pray, when we obey God, and then when we rely on on one another that ultimately God is glorified because people see God's action through the way that we're living life and so God gets the glory and not us and so as we move forward in our text today we're going to see that these ideas move Israel forward and toward a leadership structure that is designed by God to create sustainability okay we're going to look at what God is doing here and then apply that to to our body and where we are in ministry right now. Okay, we're going to read all of chapter Exodus 18 today, just for the sake of context. The first half is just kind of the story of Moses' father-in-law Jethro, and, and why it is that he's come to Moses. And I feel like that's important context for the story, but we're going to focus mainly today on the latter half. We're going to see how God uses uh, Jethro to give Moses a plan for structured leadership. That, um, that takes the, the majority of the burden of the ministry off of Moses, okay? Um, so as I mentioned last week, because of the way that God has instructed us to do ministry here, specifically with my role and my primary vocation being in another field, that we have to all understand and, and move beyond our traditional idea of what church looks like right? So it's obvious in our text today that God's going to deal specifically with that and my role here in the church. And I want to share with you guys kind of what a typical week looks like for me. And this is not, um, I'm not doing this so you can go, oh, we'll work so hard. I'm doing it because I want us to all have a really clear understanding of what all of our lives look like. Because I'm not the only busy one in here. Okay, so for me, Monday through Friday, my day typically starts. All of these times are going to have an ish on the end of it because my schedule fluctuates based on what's going on. About 6.30, I get up in the morning, spend time with the Lord, get ready for work. I'm at work by 8, and I work till about 5.30. Lunch is reserved for either sermon prep or I meet with somebody in the body as needed, okay? And then I uh, get home about 6 in the evening. 6 to about 9.30 is chore time, time with the family, supper, bedtime war, all that stuff, okay? If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, all right? 
usually around 9.30 to 11, I'll sermon prep. Um, and then from 11 until we go to bed is me and Bethany time, where we get to kind of decompress about our day and love on one another and talk about what was great. You know, how many times she almost killed a kid that day because they were so bad. You know, whatever. Kids, I'm just picking on you. You're good. All right? So, and then Saturdays I try to spend about half the day with the family, and then the other half I spend doing sermon prep. Um, and then Sunday mornings I get up early, continue to prep, make sure everything, you know, just hit God again on all the things I feel like he's told me through the week that we need to talk about, get everybody ready for church, get them out the door, and then we're here for Sunday mornings. It's awesome. And then we go home, or we go to Sam's, get lunch, buy the groceries for the week, go home, unload, go back to the life group, come back home, get supper, and then we pass out and we start over again on Monday. So, my day's really busy, and, and part of the process of me moving into this role was literally asking God, what are the things in my life that I need to get rid of? What are the things that I need to stop saying no to so that I can fulfill the call that you've given for, for, for me and for the church, okay? So if it can be stripped out of my schedule, it already has been. Like I'm, and I regularly stay before God and say, hey, this thing that's taking up this time, do I need to stop doing this? And then let him speak on that, okay? So as we read our text today, I want us to, to all keep in mind that we're all busy. You guys all have a full-time vocation just like I do. And so I don't want you to look at me at any point and think, well, Will can handle that because he doesn't have anything else going on. But I also want you to know that I'm not going to look at you with the same assumption and say, well, they're not as busy as I am, so they have time for that. I want us to all be in the same place and thinking about this the same way. Okay? Everybody good with that? All right. So let's pick up in, uh, in verse 1, Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Elizer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, I think he wants to be clear that it's his father-in-law. I don't know. He came and his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where they encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done in Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Then the next day Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that was, he was doing for the people, he said, What is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and make them know, make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, 
what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And then judge them the people at all and let them judge the people at all times every great matter shall be brought to you but any small matter they decide themselves so it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you if you do this god will direct you you will be able to endure and all his people also will go to their place in peace so moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said moses chose able men out of israel and made them heads over the people chiefs of thousands of hundreds of fifties and of tens and they judged the people at all times, any hard case that they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Okay, so here we see Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, in case you weren't clear about that, comes to visit, brings Moses' family back to him. They have a great reunion. There's a lot of mutual respect that happened between these two men who are both leaders for their people, okay? And Jethro has heard some of what God has been doing in that region because they're shepherds and because Moses is in a similar place to where Jethro is at this point, it's, it's obvious that Jethro has heard through other people what God has been doing for Israel. And so he goes to Moses and Moses gets to sit down with him and give him all the details of what God has been doing. And as a result of that, Jethro's eyes are opened up. We don't know exactly what Jethro's beliefs were. We know he's a Midianite. But there's some, there's some controversy about what that really meant and who he believed God to be. But it does say in here that he now understands the truth about who God is because of the stories that Moses tells him. The stories of what God has done. Okay, So just as a side note, I just want to share with you guys, this is super encouraging for me. I don't know about you, but I've had times where I've shared things that the Lord has told me to do with my family and it's not been received well. And so, you know, we've all heard the, the saying that, that no man, and Jesus said this, no man can be a prophet in his hometown, right? And, and I so just have kind of resigned to that. But here in this scripture, we see that Moses is able to share with his father-in-law of what God has done. And so that gives me hope and expectation that as God works in our lives, he has the power to bring those conversations up and to change people's hearts. And it's not going to be about me and my obedience, but about God and his activity, okay? So let's jump in, and, and I want to look at a couple of things in, this, in, in chapter 18, and we're going to move somewhere else. Okay, so point number one is the needs of a church cannot be met by one person. In verse 17 through 20, Moses is, is standing before the people, and Jethro looks at what he's doing, and he's going, this is not healthy, this is not sustainable. Not only are you going to be worn out, but also the people are going to be worn out as well, Okay. It's important for all of us to do our part, to play our role in ministry. And we talked a lot about that last week. And we see it again in this story that Moses is trying to be a lone wolf. He's trying to handle all the stuff. And Jethro is saying, look, man, you can't do this. This is not going to work for you and it's not going to work for them. Can you imagine having to wait for days or weeks in line with these thousands of people for one guy to hear your case and then make a decision? It'd be exhausting. And then you got all that emotion that is building up during that time period of, of that turmoil happening around us, 
okay? And for us in our lives, as we are doing ministry, if we're relying on just a couple of people, it's going to wear those people out, and other people are going to be unhappy too. It works really in two ways, okay? All the needs are met. If we're all doing our part, all the needs are met, and the, the work is light for each person because we're sharing the load, we're sharing the burden, okay? And, and what you are being called to do is what you're doing, and then you don't have to feel guilty about things that are left undone because those, those are not your responsibilities. You do what God's called you to do, and we're going to rely on one another for each other person to live in that way, and then the, the workload is easy. We're not all depending on, on one person. In my experience in this new role um, has been very much like this. When the elders met, meet and we talk about all the things that are going on around the church, like I struggle with feeling guilty about not fixing stuff around here because that's in my wheelhouse. I have the knowledge, I have the experience, I have the tools. I can fix the things that are broken here, but that's not what God has called me to do in this body. And so there was a time period where I really felt guilty about that. I can see things that are, that are falling apart, and I'm like, but if I just had time, I could fix this. And God's saying, that's not what I ask you to do. I have other things for you to do, okay? So a major part of my transition into this role was me saying to God, what are the things in my life that I'm doing that I need to stop doing? And I had to give up some things that I really, really enjoyed, but they took up too much of my time and pulled me away from what my calling is here, Okay? I also want you guys to know that I recognize as we talk about leadership and you know where we're going, the anxiety and the fear that's probably welling up in you because you're thinking, oh my gosh, Will's fixing to ask me to do a bunch of stuff, okay? And, and we all know, because I mentioned it last week, we're going to talk today about deacons and deaconesses. And you may be recalling some personal experiences where you had uh, an experience with a deacon that was not pleasant, okay? And we're going to define today what that is supposed to be. We're going to look at biblically what is God saying about this, okay? But I want you to understand this. God does not call somebody to leadership to just hang them out to dry. God's call for you is not about you doing all the work by yourself. God's call for each of us is us to carry the load that God has given us. And when we all do that, we talk about that in marriage counseling all the time, is that if you go into a marriage thinking this is a 50-50 thing, you're both going to be disappointed. It's just 100%. You give 100% all the time, and if your spouse is doing the same thing, both of your needs are being met. Instead of both of you, because what happens if you're living 50-50 is it really is about 90-10. You're thinking about yourself 90% of the time, and only then 10% of the time, and you're both miserable. And the same is true in our work in the church, okay? So God purposely creates a leadership structure that allows us to lean on the support of one another. That's what we see happening here in Moses. In Moses, in verse 22, it says, And then let the judge... Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. But any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. We can see here a very clear picture that each person that Moses is calling to take these leadership roles is going to have a responsibility with the directive that if it's too much for them, if they can't, if they don't feel qualified or they can't handle it, that they can pass it to someone that's on a higher level than them. And the same is true in our work here in the church, Okay. We talk about serving, when we talk about serving in a leadership position, please understand that, that you will have a support system. That is, we talk about being leaders in the church, that our intent is never to, to put you in a leadership role and then say, good luck with that. Okay? That's not how God has designed this. Okay? We're going to see in, in verse 21 that there are specific qualifications for leadership. So let's read verse 21 again. Moreover, look for able men from all people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. 
and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. It is crucial for the life of this church and for any that those that are in leadership are qualified to hold that position. The qualifications that we see listed for this, for Moses to appoint these people, are men that are able, men that have the ability to lead and judge righteously. They must fear God. They need to understand who God is and have a healthy fear of that. And they need to be trustworthy. They can lead people without anyone having to question what their motives are, about why they're judging the way that they are. And looking over this passage for the last couple of weeks, God has made it really, really clear to me that it's time for us to begin the ministry of deacons and deaconesses in our body. Up until this point, we have not had that. And I want to be clear about something. Moses is not appointing deacons in this story, right? That is not, when we look at the biblical explanation of what a deacon is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at that in a minute. That's not what we see Moses doing here. But God, like all the rest of the stories that we've been reading in Exodus, God gives us these principles and we say, okay, God, we see what you're doing here. How does that apply to us in our current context? And that's what we're doing here today, okay? So I don't want you to be confused and think that, that God's appointing deacons in Moses' story because that's not what's happening, okay? The biblical standard for church leadership that God has set forth in the New Testament for us is through the ministry of the elders and the deacons, okay? So as we move forward today, we're going to move out of, the, uh, out of Exodus 18 with the understanding that our application for this is that God elevates people to leadership as there's need for ministry, okay? That's what we see happening in Moses. And so let's take that application and move it to our body, okay? Because we find ourselves in that same place as we've already talked about, okay? So the biblical standard of ministry is through the ministry of the elders and the deacons. All right, so I think it was last fall, I'm not sure, we were studying through the book of Acts, and God spoke for us to appoint deacons and deaconesses. And I'll be honest with you guys, we dropped the ball on that. A lot of things happening, um, and we let that slip through the cracks. But God's made it clear that we need to, to jump on this, okay? As I, <laughs> excuse me, as I prayed through this, I felt like it would be really, really important for us to go back to 1 Timothy and to look at Acts chapter 6 and look at the, the characteristics, the qualifications, and the responsibility of what it means to be a deacon, okay? And look, let me say this. If you grew up in a church that had deacons, particularly in the Southern Baptist, some of you um, may have had experiences that weren't great, okay? And so here's what I'm asking for you to do today. I want you to set those preconceived ideas, those things, those experiences that you've had. Just can you set that aside for a minute and let's look at Scripture and let's together look at what God says a deacon is supposed to be. Can we do that? Okay, all right. Sorry, I've had a little sore throat the last couple of weeks. So if I start coughing, my bad. It's not on purpose. Okay? All right. Um, a great example of, of what you've probably never experienced in a Southern Baptist church is a deaconess. Raise your hand if there was a deaconess in your church. Anybody? All right, Brittany. I asked if it was Southern Baptist. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. We're going to look at that today, okay? Scripture gives some very explicit examples of women serving in that role. And so we're going to do that as a church because we see that happening in Scripture, okay? All right, so we're going to look at the truth of Scripture and we're going to apply it to what we're going to. What's happened in a lot of churches, like so many other things, is, is um, men have, with, I think, good intentions in the beginning, have taken Scripture and they have... Uh, eventually manipulated that to be something that it's not. We see that happen in the Pharisees. And so our goal today is to look at these scriptures and say, what is the role that God has called a deacon to and how do we do that as a church? Okay? All right, so let's look together 
at the responsibilities of a deacon or a deaconess. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7 first. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Jews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and in the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of uh, faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, the primary responsibility... If a, I'm going to say this correctly. I even put the pronunciation up there. The conut, okay? This is the office of the deacon. So that encompasses both deacons and deaconesses, okay? Their primary responsibility is to serve the body. Russ is laughing at me. I must have said it wrong. <laughs> I tried really hard, bro. I can't help it. All right. Primary responsibility of a deacon and a deaconess is to serve the body. There's a need in the early church for the men and the women to attend to the needs of the church. The apostles are gathered up, they, they gather the body and they instruct them to appoint some, some people from among them that could make sure that the needs were being, ter- be, I can't talk today, being taken care of and done so properly. Okay? We see them serving in this example to make sure that the widows specifically are being properly taken care of. But we're going to see a more generalized view of that service in other passages. But in short, they take care of the physical needs of the church. That is the role of a deacon. Okay, there is a clear distinction in scripture between elders and deacons. Elders are overseers in the church whose primary focus is on spiritual matters. And deacons are servants in the church whose primary focus is on physical matters of serving the church. Okay, we get the word deacon and deaconess from the word from the Greek word uh, diakonos, which translates directly to servants or ministers of the church. Now, most of you probably had church experiences where that was not the role that a deacon served. My experience, the few that I've had with with deacons, is that the deacons ran the church. They were the decision makers, and they were even over the pastors. They were the one that hired and fired the pastors. That's not the example that we see in Scripture. In Scripture, we see that the deacons work alongside the elders, but they are not above the elders. In Philippians 1.1, it says, Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons. Here Paul specifically calls out those two different roles and he wouldn't do that if they were the same thing. If they were the same role, they wouldn't have two different words for it. Okay? They're different roles. Don't be confused in the beginning of that when the wording it says servant of Jesus Christ. The word there for servant is doulos, which means a bond servant. Paul is using that word to communicate the level of commitment that he and Timothy have to God. Okay? And I know that we don't typically look at the Greek language here, but I think it's really important for us to understand the differences in what Paul is trying to communicate, both um, in, in, in this book and also uh, in the book of Acts. Paul didn't write that. Luke did, but you got me. All right. Romans 16, 1-2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sincre, 
that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Again, we see that same word diakonos. Okay? And I'm using this scripture in particular because I want to clear up any confusion on the idea of deaconess. That is a very clear example of Paul saying that this woman served in that role. And I also want to point out that a man was not introduced with her. Aquila and Priscilla are another great example of that. And a lot of people say that, that Priscilla was only a deaconess because she was married to Aquila. And in this example, we don't see that. Her leadership is not based on anything other than her call from God and the merit that she possessed within herself. So we see that very clearly. Okay? She's not a deacon because her husband was. She held that position based on her own merit. Okay? So deacons and deaconesses work together with the elders with the goal of taking care of the church. The elders attend to the spiritual matters and the deacons serve in the needs that are of the church. Okay, are we clear? No? Okay, all right. Characteristics of a deacon and a deaconess. Okay, let's look at two different passages, passages today to see the characteristics, characteristics of those two and what they should possess. The first is 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. So we see here the qualifications, we see, or the characteristics that one should have. And then we look also at Acts 6, 8 through 10 again. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and of Alexandrians, and, for those, and of those who were in Sicla and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. So we see Stephen here full of grace and power and wisdom. It says in verse 10, they cannot withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Just like elders, deacons are held to a very high standard. Okay? God wants to make sure that those that are in leadership in the church are the right kind of people. Being a deacon or a deaconess is just like being an elder in that it is a calling from God. I have known of in the past that there are churches who, who appoint deacons based on their social status, how much they give, and their personality. However, none of those things are found in that list of qualifications for, an, for a deacon. Okay? As a result, if you choose outside of that list, those that are in leadership are serving themselves and not the church. They're serving their own desires, their own agendas, instead of going to God and asking Him what His desires are. And as a result of that, the church suffers, okay? And I know that most of you in this room have probably had some experiences with that, okay? As an elder, it is my responsibility, along with the other elders, to protect this body, okay? We have that responsibility and to uphold the distinctives that God has given us. And so I want to let you know that I can promise you that there will not be a person in this level of leadership that does not meet those biblical qualifications. Now, I'm not saying that that person has to be perfect. As I have already confessed to you in the beginning of this, I am not perfect. 
We all make mistakes, but the difference, there's a major difference in choosing to live in sin versus trying to be obedient to the Lord and making mistakes, right? So the elders uh, and I are going to have that responsibility, okay? And here, here are the qualifications as I see them, okay? And this is, they, they must be dignified, they must be honest, sober, faithful, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and full of grace and power. And look, I, I, I speak in strong terms of, of promises that we will not allow that to happen because, and I'm making that commitment because I love this body. The elders love this body. And our experience as a gathering place church, both here at West and also at Wardville, has been incredible because we've all been on the same page. All of us are seeking the Lord asking Him for direction, and then we follow that leading, okay? Our church is the way it is because there is not anyone in leadership that is serving their own agenda. That's why we operate the way we do, okay? Up until this point, all we've had is staff and elders, but each and every one of those people that are in leadership are pursuing God on a daily basis, and they're leading their ministries as they are led by the Holy Spirit. The same will be true of our deacons and deaconesses. What we're about to do will not look or operate the way you've seen this role in the past for most of you. This is going to be a very scriptural thing and I took a lot of time this week to really dig into this and ask the Lord. I, I was telling Glenn, I spent about four hours Friday evening listening through sermons from last year trying to get all the little nuances that Glenn talked about when he talked about deacons and deaconesses. And I found a few things, but I didn't find it all. And as I'm talking to God about this, because I want to be very clear that we communicate the same things, and God's like, hey, Will, if you'll just read my scripture, if you'll read my word and communicate that, you'll be communicating the same thing. And it was like, oh, yeah, duh, I knew that, right? Okay, so as we're talking about this, and I, I really, I know a lot of you guys in live groups are doing book studies. Please take these next, this week for sure, and, and possibly next week, and dig into this and talk about what this means and what this looks like for us as a church, because this is a big deal. We're not going to just, this is not a, a, um, uh, an election. We're not going to just vote on who uh, gets to be a deacon and a deaconess and who does not. This process is going to work very similar to the way we, uh, we appoint elders, okay? The process is going to be, do you feel called? Do you feel called to be a deacon or a deaconess? If you do, fantastic. Come let me or one of the elders know. Because the next step in that process is we are going to pray with you and affirm that call. And just like with the, with the um, affirmation of elders, there's going to be a time of questioning for a couple of weeks where both the elders and the body have an opportunity to spend a lot of time in prayer. And if they have any questions, they can go to those that feel called to that role and ask those questions. Okay? So there's going to be a period of prayer and testing. Okay? And that's going to happen by the elders and also the body. Okay? Um, and then after that, after we have both the body and the elders have affirmed that you are called to that position, we're going to pray and lay hands on you. The only main difference is that the deacons are not, they don't need to be ordained because they're not dealing with spiritual matters. And I want to point out too as we looked at that, that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that there's a couple of distinctives that are not listed in with the deacons. One of those primary ones being uh, that's listed as an elder is being able to teach. And that's not listed under the deacons because that's not their role. That's not their call. And this is not, please, I, I don't think anybody's going here, but I want you to understand this is not me 
trying to elevate the elders to somewhere they're not or lower the deacons to somewhere they're not. We're looking at Scripture and saying, how has God structured this? How did God communicate through Paul to help us understand the difference between a deacon and an elder? And if, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. The role of a deacon is to be a servant. The role of the deacon started at a table in Acts chapter 6. There were needs, there was ministry that needed to happen in the church. And we have needs and ministry that needs to happen in this church. And I can't do it all, the other elders can't do it all, and the staff can't do it all. And there are some of you in this body, some that I know of that have spoken to me, that feel called to this role. And I'm so excited about it. I'm excited about it because I know that when I've accepted God's call for my life and I've moved into new places, that it's always been a huge blessing. And I'm excited to see us as a church to grow as we move into this next stage because this is going to be required. If, if you guys are all dependent on me to make everything happen, we're going to fail. And if I'm depending on only one or two or four or five of you to do everything, we're going to fail. And that's not the way God's designed the church to work. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, I shared with you guys that David Platt talked about at the, at the convention that all of us as believers, when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we also accepted a call to make disciples. We've talked about that a lot from here. Is that each and every one of us have a call to be a disciple maker. What that means is we are all called to ministry in some respect. All of us have the responsibility of making Christ known. And so as we move forward as a church, I'm excited. I'm so excited to see you guys, some of you that are called to step up in leadership and, and watch you bloom and see the experiences that God's going to give you as you walk out in obedience to Him. So let's pray. God, I thank you for this new step that you're calling us to. Uh, God, God to, a call for, for some in our body to step up into leadership and to lead in the ministry of service. And God, I ask that as we go through the, the next three or four weeks of this process, that, Lord, that you would speak very clearly to each of us about who it is that you're calling to that role. And, Father, I ask that this would be an opportunity for us as a body to grow closer to one another. And, God, that this would be a time of encouragement and of celebration as your people obey your commands for them. God, I'm excited for the ministry opportunities that you're going to open up for us as we walk in obedience to your call for us. God, we love you so much. And we are so thankful that you allow us to walk and to live in ministry with you. Father, thank you.